Next Chapter Podcasts. I'm Michael Goodfriend. As head of scripted fiction at Next Chapter Podcasts, I'm always looking for a good story. And I found one in an old friend of mine who I met when I was a kid in Wisconsin 35 years ago. I used to know him as Jerry. Now he's Lama Tukten Rinpoche. Every Friday morning for 10 weeks in a row, I tried to learn how that happened. These are my mornings with Rinpoche. If you have a question or comment you'd like to share, my email address is michael at ncpodcasts.com. Then as we close, I just make one prayer to one great superhero, Amisambaba, Guru Rinpoche. And basically this is what I'm saying in the Tibetan phonetic way is, may you all be blessed by the enlightened qualities of all of the great masters that have existed in the universe. May all that you wish and dream of come true. And may loving kindness and compassion and joyousness, equanimity and happiness and harmony and love May it bloom like a flower and sprout within you. May you all be blessed. <laughs> Can we talk about how you began to investigate movement as opposed to, or not as opposed to, or as a, as a growth out of, or from the martial arts? I had wonderful teachers and I watched and was able to, uh, like out of the movies is to follow my masters and to sit in a corner and have tea with them and eat with them and listen to their wisdom and how they lived was one to excel um and they played music and uh, well, they they wrote and we played chess and some of them were actors and uh, some of them were dancers but the the ground our foundation was the, was when we said martial arts that which binds and brings together all of the various aspects of the be human, our intellect, our emotions, um, our awareness, etc. And then to be there as a servant in the, of your community, to do good, to be an example of good as you lived in those areas. So I'm trying to think when I first, well, you know, I, I went to uh, coming out of being in New York City, there was a time when the arts flourished in the schools. You know, you know, I studied language, I had French, I had Spanish, you know, I played music, I was in a choral group. I, I think I told you, I met with Leonard Bernstein, I shook his hand, he was right in front of my face. Um, and uh, we, were, we were just fortunate, we had a very noted uh, orchestra uh, and dance band 
uh, and band. So I played in all of those three uh, uh, areas. But the idea was always excel. If you're going to play, then we call, you know, woodshedding, you know, the whole idea. I used to go, I went, I would go to the Manhattan School of Music in the summer and, uh, and play um, saxophone. And then these old guys would say, hey boy, why don't you come down and, and, and just do some improvisation with us? What, what do you mean? And one, I'm down in this cellar you know, with these like old guys and they go, play boy. You know, and they just want you to blah, 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 you play. Um, and it doesn't matter what you play. It's that you must connect to your spirit, connect to your soul and play. So that was a wonderful experience. I, I would get up in the morning with my saxophone and get on the, the IRT and go to Manhattan from, was that living in, yeah, I was living in Brooklyn. And at Canarsie Street and 14th, underneath, you could get hot donuts and fresh squeezed orange juice. So I would look for that would be my breakfast and then off to, uh, to spend a day being involved in, in music. Well, then in music, um, so I remember one day someone says, oh, you see those guys over there? Those are the dancers. Well, how you know? Look at how they walk. So I, what, is, what do you mean dancers? So maybe during that time I had seen, obviously grew up watching Again, remember, I live in Bethesda-Stuyvesant, right? I'm a strange kid. Who are my heroes? Fred Astaire, Bill Bojangles, um, Gene Kelly, which I also met, Gene Kelly, um, uh, the Heinz brothers. Um, wow. Watching these, how they moved and how they, the spirit that they exuded. Oh, oh. And then I remember when going once, I was at a summer camp and Stevie, I didn't see him, but Stevie Wonder was headlining at a venue that was next to our camp. And I heard Stevie Wonder singing when he was small, you know, when he was obviously young. And I thought, wow, such a voice, such a talent. And then obviously with, with also Michael Jackson uh, growing up when I was older, but. Where did that come from? I asked myself, do I have any of that? I wish I had that. How does one develop that talent? How does one who can't even hear or see create music? I was envious. <laughs> and I wanted to arrive at that level of extraordinariness. As a child, um, probably somewhere again, eighth or ninth grade, I was enamored with Carl Jung and uh, Einstein. So I go to the book and I get a book on the theory of relativity and unified force theory. I'm reading through this, can't understand a word of it. But I thought I'm going to read it anyway because Einstein is genius. What is genius? To this very day, I still quantum field theory, spring theory. Uh, there's another one. I can't remember, but where does this way of thinking arrive from? Uh, I would ask myself. I still do. So really what you're hearing now is the construct of my continued tapping into a universal consciousness in which we all share. And why, how is it that we miss the extraordinary 
quality of this wonderful capacity that we have to be aware, how to create, how to dream, how to make life. Anyway, you're asking me the questions that I ask myself and struggle with still uh, to this day. Um, again, I like to say, I ask my students of what I'm saying. I hope it makes some sense of what I'm saying. Perhaps it's my story is really not that important. Your story, Michael, is important. I want to um, talk about the type of movement that you teach now, Bhutto. Yeah. You teach this, yes? Yes, yes. Bhutto dance. Can, can you tell us how did you find Bhutto and how would you describe it to those of us who can't experience it, who are just listening? My first encounter with Bhutto, I was again living in Brooklyn and I was... Uh, I, I still, to this day, I stay up late, way too late. But I was watching PBS, late night TV, and I saw these five figures covered in white paint in a rock quarry, dancing and moving in green slime, or some type of cast liquid. And I went, what is that? Now, granted, I had been sort of associating with modern dancers, contemporary dance, and, and ballet, uh, jazz, etc. But then I saw this strange movement and how they moved their bodies, and it was so slow. And I was captivated and went, What is that? And it just said, This is Sankajuku, Buto Dance Company. Sankajuku, second story. Um, and it was called Buto. But nobody knew what Ibuto was. Um, and, and to give a little history, Ibuto uh, came about around the late part of the 1950s. And the myth goes it was partly influenced by the turmoil that had happened in Japan and the upheaval. But this was happening around the world some in the 50s, right? The whole transition and culture and style and music and the exchange of ideas, etc., And uh, this sort of rebellious and renewal of ideologies, both in the arts, etc. And two main figures, Tatsumi Hijikata and, and, and uh, Kazuo Onusan. Onusan. Um, they, it, it really is kind of, uh, maybe more than you want to know right now, but Buto, Bu and To. Bu, meaning it could be, it encompassed another word, meaning ma, buto ma. Oh, ma, ma is the space between us. Like even now we're in this cyber, cyber space, this feel, but here we are seeing each other, talking to each other. So between you and I, there is ma, but between myself and you, the ma has existed since you, since you were a baby, since you were a little boy, and here we are talking now. That is an example how strong Ma, the circularity of the connectedness that we all exist within. So Bhutto is about space and the connectedness and time. 
told meaning to stomp. So why do we stomp in primitive dances? We say cultural dances. We, we, we stomp our feet to express. We stomp our feet to draw up the energies. It's like if you're watching the football team before they go onto the field, they will jump together. Da, 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 da. And then they break out and they go into the battle, onto the field. So we stomp to bring up our spirit. So therefore the word buto also has the connotation of another anko, ankoko, ankoko buto, ankoko meaning the darkness. So that which arises from the darkness of the unseen within the space-time continuum. What does that mean? Is to look into the depths of oneself, the shadows of the unknown, of the suppressed, and allow it to come up and give it expression, give it a voice. And therefore, one finds freedom. I feel so free when I dance. My master would say, I feel so free. Oh, I want to go dance. I must dance. So Bhutto is a whole way of perception. It's a, not it's not gyrating and grotesque. Some people think, oh, Bhutto is so dark. No, it is from the dark to the light and every shade in between is Bhutto. But that's life also. And the Buddha dancer wants to express, not just play, but to live those moments of their turmoil, of being beaten and being called nigger, and you black person. But at the other, it's being given something that you didn't expect. And all the emotions that arise as a result to express, not out of anger, not out of violence, but merely as a human being that reveals this is what happens to a life. So that's how I look at Bhutto, is that it is the dance of life. It is also the dance of darkness, the dance of shadows, the dance that we suppress. It is the dance and the stories that we need to tell, but we fear to do so. So Bhutto training, Bhutto experience, is to bring, is to basically rip open your chest and go watch my heart beat. <laughs> and it, it arose in Japan? Buto, it said it to, um, it started with these two innovators, uh, Tatsumi Hijikata and Kazuono. But really, their foundation was in the modern dance movement that was coming out of Germany. Um, the new, uh, whether it was uh, Hanyo Holmes, and uh, they was influenced by the Brauhaus movement. They were uh, influenced by Isidore Duncan and uh, Nico, many. And so, Ono-san and uh, Yoshito-san, no, no, no. Ono-san and Tatsumi, Kichikata, they all also had a background in dance. But when they came back, they also were in, in the war. When they came back, um, to Japan and they began to collaborate. They wanted to find something that spoke to uh, the body of, of the Japanese culture, um, the structure of the body, that at least in his idea that ballet and the dances that they saw was not something indigenous to their bodies. So they wanted to look at how did the 
sociological implication of movement occur within that culture, within that society. And also the concept coming from the modern dance of those earlier innovators, this mm, authenticness or organicness of movement that wasn't grounded in learning a one, two, three, four, or a technique or the perfect symmetry of line and form, um, like we see perhaps in ballet, etc. But like children, no one teaches the child how to dance, but every child dances. So you watch how they jump and they leap and they fall and they roll. And we begin to emulate and tap into that, the innocence of movement and how might we enhance it um, like even how we, sometimes we say in the Bhutto, let every movement come from a joint. And so it begins to look like, and then in the face, and then, every moment your hair stands up because you're looking at how does the movement happen? How does movement flow? How does a leaf fall to the ground? And how does a flower unfold? So, you, you, Bhutto is you must connect to life, you must connect to nature, and you connect to others. And how do you reveal your story to make their story come forth? It's interesting to me because you're, you, you've described it emanating from Japan and Germany after the war, yes. after World War II. Yes. And, and Japan and Germany were these Axis powers that had been through a sort of fascism, right, obviously, in Germany. And, I, it, and that it would yield this art form, this new art form that is so in touch with our darker side by your description. Yes. Can you imagine, or I want you to imagine, seeing a body vaporized from uh, the atomic blast of Hiroshima, Narasaki. To see the flesh fall off the body and a body moving with barely living. And as it moves, how it is broken and the flesh deformed until it dies. Or to see a place that once was a whole neighborhood vanquished like we've seen recently when these tornadoes have gone and devastated in the Midwest. But at least they still see the remnants of the destruction. What if it was all just vaporized? And so somehow these images that they grew up with, like one, one of our masters, one master, uh, Marusan, is it Marusan? Yeah, Akajimaro. He talks about remembering in the womb of his mother, seeing the flash of the atomic bombs. And what he remembered the smell was the smell of watermelon. This is in the womb. He remembers when, when he says, this of, of these things that affect us, but we can look and see the atrocities that came out of the, the concentration camps the atrocities that came out of the uh, torture that happened right here in our country. And then those who rose to great heights from the 
degradation, destructive violence, torturous environments, that there was something about the human spirit that will always stand up and not lose its dignity. This is also Bhutto. Do not lose your dignity as a human being. And how might you tell the story of that which has tried to push you down? Because we're all in the same soup, as I said to the students. And when you see the dance, or we see the arts, I think it touches something deep in us about our own story that maybe we don't know how to tell. So this is all, all part of Bhutto training. It's the, but no one can tell you. I cannot, I can only be the catalyst that may lead you to tell your story. And here is, here's, here's a, a schematic that may give you a language. We develop a language to tell that story. But that's why we say, my teacher says, first, you must get them on a bus. Once they're on the bus, take them for a ride. And when we go for a ride and we go for a journey, that is the act of transformation. That is the quality of transcending. And when they arrive, open the door and say bye-bye. <laughs> Training in Bhutto is, is how you approach living, isn't it? It's not about, again, uh, Onusan. He said, was it Onusan? Oh, Kajimaro. He says, it's not about going to the studio and doing one, two, three, four, this, that. It's about being in touch with that visceral inner part of your essence then how does it move, right? You ever had that moment, something happens, you go <gasps> like that, right? You go, oh, wow. But well, then we take that movement. What if you repeat it over and over? Ah, there's, and there's one day she goes. Because <laughs> it's happy. <laughs> and you keep doing it again and again and again and again and again. And that moment of repetition and repetition and repetition and repetition, it leads you to something that you didn't know. That's what up. When you arrive at the moment of not knowing what you're doing, this Buddha. To know what you're doing while you're doing it is boring. But to take what you know that you're doing and doing it until you don't know you're doing, that's Buddha. So you ask me if I'm practicing, I may not be, you know, this is my studio space we're sitting in, my, my living room is my studio. So sometimes in the middle of the night, I may practice walking slow. I may practice being still. I practice sitting on my seat. I practice doing nothing. I don't practice enough. So I don't have a Bhutto company because I'm lazy. <laughs> um, do I teach it as much as I could? Not really. Are people really interested in Bhutto? No. Because they're not interested in themselves. It's a personal commitment. I think, but any artist you talk to, I'm a fakey artist, but you talk to a real artist, it's their life blood. Uh, I, I, when I was going back to when I was in the fourth, fourth grade, I wanted to play violin but they didn't have any left. 
So I wound up playing saxophone. But Zubin Mehta, uh, the other one, not Horowitz, the great violinist. Isaac Stern? Yeah, Isaac Stern, Zubin Mehta, and there's one more. Uh, what's his name? Itzhak Perlman. Itzhak Perlman, yeah. Itzhak Perlman, Zubin Mehta, and there's one before. It always, it'll pop out. But I admire, oh, they, there was no separation between their instrument and themselves. I got to see Dizzy Gillespie and uh, Miles Davis. How they just completely, again, we know they had such struggles, but look at the art that came out as a result. So this is how I thought about uh, uh, how to, to practice. And when you ask me, do I still, I think about Buto. I have, you know, many, oh, I read a little bit here. I have one text that was written by Tatsumi Jakarta. How did they arrive at that genius? My, I don't know if I want to use the word fear or disappointment is that I won't completely fulfill the height of my potentiality in this life. So whoever may be listening to this, strive every day to reach the height with passion of your potential to be the best human being that you can in this multiverse. To me, that's Bouteau. That is the dance, the dance of life, the dance of mystery, the dance that emerges from the unknown and having the courage to leap into what we don't know, even when we're at our lowest moment of suffering. We are all suffering now, the whole planet, Amrakan, Corona, political strife, possibility of war, the bickering of our governments, the bickering racially, gender, gender. It goes on and on. How do we survive? We're like the ostrich. We just put our head down, which the ostrich really doesn't do, and we just go along accepting, not changing. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, kindness should not be an exception, it should be the norm. You see someone, you go, oh, they're so kind. And we smile, oh, they're so kind. And we should be smiling all the time because we should always be kind. But we're not, not even to ourselves. So Bhutto and just gyrating on the stage so it can be something weird. And but this is so shallow. My teacher gave me this name, which I don't use really, I gave it away. It's called Rakan. Rakan. Rakan comes from the ancient Sanskrit word meaning Arhat. Who are the Arhats? The Arhats are the enlightened ones. They were the disciples of Buddha. So Rakan means those who dance for the enlightenment of others. To see the smallest of movement and to have you remember the love you had for your grandfather or your grandmother, and you begin to cry, but you don't know why. 
something touched you, is Buddha. Or all of a sudden, you don't know, you don't know if you should laugh or not, but you find yourself laughing at the silliness of the movement. Right? There's one movie called da -da 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 When you see Charlie Chaplin, right? We laugh of how he just sits and looks and how he twirls and moves about his head and makes expressions. We laugh because he knew how to touch our heart. This Buddha. So you have Buddha is not just something indigenous to Japan, else it would die out. It is universal. It is that which lies within each and every one of us. I feel I was sort of blessed. I studied with Kazumono. I studied with many disciples of Tatsumi Hichikata. I was able to be in Japan and be with those innovators of this art form. I am still trying to uh, digest it and doing not the best job I could because I'm taking a little, I'm taking a detour and I'm allowing the universe to be the guide me. And I sort of sit on my seat and watch for the dream, not, not waiting for the dream to unfold, but to see how I can interact with the unfolding of the dream. If that makes any sense. Anyway, too much talking. You know, listening to you, You've really just, it, it, I think more than anything, I hear the, the journey of an artist. As you describe your experiences, you've been obviously very deeply connected spiritually and you've been on a, on a spiritual path, but they're the same, art and spirituality. Again, going back to I spent many years studying with mime. <laughs> I studied with students of Marcel Marceau. I actually met Marcel Marceau, spent some, a little bit of time with him, and uh, I taught mime and mask for again uh, in many ways. And I thought, the mime. What is the medium of mime? space and time. The mind manipulates space. It's not about illusions. It's about how we use space as a support, whether whatever's going on, how do we use the body in that respect? And I thought the medium is life. My medium is to create a life of art. Stanislavski, my life in the art. But Consciousness and life is to live life in a creative manner. That's what, that's what I, I, I still think is, what is my medium? Not watercolor, not paint. It's not music per se, but the medium is life itself into a meaningful, full life. What's that movie, that Christmas movie? It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. I, I want to, can I give you this thought for today? Um, this morning I was thinking, again, I've been exploring and reading again, as I told you, theory of relativity, um, force field, not force field, quantum field theory. 
and quantum mechanics, quantum physics. In a given moment of reality, all other possibilities of reality are coexisting. So I said this morning, if that is the case, I would say that to your listeners, envision a reality where you had everything you needed. Everything you needed. You were fulfilled financially, emotionally, physically, intellectually, spiritually. It's to think about that, create that dream. In some quantum reality, it's already there. Why? Because you can conceive it in your thought, which is extraordinary. If that reality is existing in some quantum field, what does it feel like if you were in that reality? Again, like an actor, as if. What would that reality, what would it feel like? Now, I want you to take that feeling from that creative reality of possibilities and bring it into this present moment. In this present moment, we have everything we need and we are fulfilled. Then you might say, but that's not true. Ah, ah, ah. We know what is true or not. We're going to superimpose a creative reality on our present one, but not negate the present one. But we want to feel as though that reality which we constructed was in the present. So you lay it on top of this present one. I started doing this, as I, was, I, I do this every day, is this moment right now is the manifestation of existing realities that I desire and which I have created. What does that feel like? Think of the most happiest time you ever had. Where were you at, Michael, when you felt the most free? Oh, I remember sitting in your backyard, looking at the stars, and we were just sitting there. I go, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Now, keep that feeling. And may that feeling stay with you for the rest of the day, and for the rest of the day, and for the rest of our lives. May we look to the light of the stars. <laughs> this is what I thought this morning. <laughs> Live life like that. We are under the yoke. Can I go get tested? Have I been exposed? Do I have Omicron? Do, am I going to wind up hooked up to it? On and on and on. No, I'm going to create a different dream. Else, how can we survive? If we don't dream, we don't thrive. Anyway, that's the thoughts that I, I said, I want to share this with you this morning. Maybe your listeners create your realities. This is the time of evolution. This is the time of awakening. This is the time of transformation. This is the time of transcendence. If we don't, our culture is dying. Our communities, our civilizations are dying. And eventually we will become extinct because we didn't do one thing, change. But I'm only talking to my own smallness. Maybe it's of some worth to others. Anyway, thank you for listening to my battle. It's wonderful and I will take that with me 
and we will meet again and record more and whenever it happens we continue going down this path and and keep connecting recording these uh who knows who's going to listen who knows what it's for but it's definitely for something better than whatever mundane or or repetitive rut we happen to be in right just we're on a journey and uh and we're finding things together as we as we discuss your experiences in life and and you you have the patience to let me continue to ask you about them i really uh i think it opens up so many every every sort of window into your journey opens up many other uh windows into perceptions of reality yes yes then as we close i just make one prayer to one great superhero Bamisambaba, Guru Rinpoche. And basically this is what I'm saying in the Tibetan phonetic way is, may you all be blessed by the enlightened qualities of all of the great masters that have existed in the universe. May all that you wish and dream of come true. And may loving kindness and compassion and joyousness, equanimity and happiness and harmony and love May it bloom like a flower and sprout within you. May you all be blessed. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. That was My Mornings with Rinpoche, with Lama Tumten Rinpoche and me, Michael Goodfriend. Our sound designer is Tay Blow, with additional sound design and composition by John Gasper. Our engineer is Adam Bernard. If you have anything you'd like to share in the way of a question or comment for me or Rinpoche, my email address is michael at ncpodcasts.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L at N as in next, C as in chapter, podcasts with an S at the end, dot com. I'd love to hear from you. And if there's a way to incorporate your messages into upcoming episodes of the series, I'll make sure it happens. And I'll let you know. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It really makes a difference, and it helps us know who's listening. Visit our website, ncpodcast.com to learn more about all our shows. Next Chapter Podcasts.